Well, turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to focus on verses 6 through 8 tonight. A little while back, uh, Shannon and I did something uh, that we do every year during this time of year. Much like uh, I'm sure many of you, we had to sit down together and talk about our Christmas plans. And most of the talk usually has to do with the cost of it. <laughs> How much is Christmas? You know, what's our budget going to be for Christmas? So you have to think about that, don't you? Because before long, even when you have a budget, it racks up pretty quick. But we have to think about presents for the kids especially. And we try to factor in some things that we'd like to get for each other and, and maybe extended family or some other people in our life. And, and it used to be for us, we've actually changed our schedule a little bit. We used to actually have to factor in a trip down to visit family like Jeff's doing this weekend. We've kind of changed our pattern to more around Easter, but, but you know, we have to sit down and think about, hey, the holidays are going to cost us something, aren't they? For all of us. There's office parties. There's neighborhood get-togethers. There's family uh, parties that we have. There's special events at church. There's changes in our schedule. There's buying food and putting up the lights and making sure the house looks good for guests and, you know, painting that thing that we've needed to paint in the house, you know, since everybody's coming over and, and getting the food ready and, and all those kind of things, getting a tree. Christmas takes quite a bit of planning, doesn't it? A lot of preparation, a lot of budgeting. It requires things of us. It costs us something to be a part of. And by the way, I'm not begrudging that. I'm thankful that our nation still sees Christmas so highly. I'm thankful that for about a month that our nation, now much of it might be uh, twisted and marketed and just commercialized, but I'm still thankful that our country at least thinks that much of Christmas, that we do put that much into it. But did you know that Christmas costs God some things? And that's what I want to think about tonight. I want us to talk about the cost of Christmas. And we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Now, the verses we're going to look at are probably not thought so much of as a Christmas passage. In fact, actually, specifically the verses that are here, Paul is writing to believers. And he's led by God to share with believers that, hey, we need to have a mindset. We need to have a viewpoint. We need to have a worldview that matches up with God's. And so what he does in Philippians chapter 2, actually in verse 5, he starts out by saying, listen, you need to have this attitude. Some of you are studying about attitude, aren't you? You're doing a study, the men and the ladies. Have this attitude, have this mindset, have this perspective in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus. So primarily what Paul is dealing with is he's talking about our attitude or our approach to life. But as he shares that challenge, he reminds us of some of the cost of Christmas to God. And I believe tonight that God is leading us to look at these verses because realizing that cost will give a lot more meaning to Christmas and your celebration of it this year, and I believe could impact your life in an even bigger way. So let's talk about that. What was the cost of Christmas to God? First of all, have you, have you ever thought about this? Jesus left heaven for us. You ever thought about that? Look at Philippians 2, verse 6. It says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although He existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Now, what's it talking about there? Well, we'll talk about that in just a minute. You know, the last couple of weeks, 
we've had some awesome reminders about what Christmas is all about. We had uh, the, the Wings of Morning group. They came and they sang to us, and, they, and the theme of that whole thing was the gift. God brought a gift to us. And I'm so grateful for that. And last week, our choir, our, our, choir, our musicians, our singers, our, our media ministry, our drama ministry, our children's choir, all those worked together uh, to, to present to us happy birthday, Jesus. And, and all those things, what I'm most thankful for is, whether it's through the, the Wings of Morning concert or whether it's through the thing that we did ourselves, is, I don't know about you, but it helped to remind me of the real Christmas story, the details about how Christ came and what happened 2,000 years ago. But as I've participated in those with you for the last few weeks, one thought that's really struck me is some of you, anybody heard of Mandisa? Okay, Mandisa was on the uh, American Idol program, okay? If you remember that, Mandisa actually did very well on the American Idol program, but actually she's done even better now. She's a Christian singer. She's got a great CD out that one of my children bought. And, and one of the phrases in one of her songs, it says, what could be stranger than God in a manger? And I've been thinking about that this week. It's crazy, isn't it? How is it possible that God would do that for us? How is it possible that God was willing to leave heaven and enter into our world? Well, verses 6 through 7, the first part of verse 7, gives us some idea about how he felt about doing that. And, and it, you probably noticed as I was reading that, it's a little bit hard to understand. The translation here is hard to, to, hard to translate into English. It says, "...who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped." Now, that's kind of hard to translate, but let me just give you a little bit of paraphrase of, I believe, what it's saying. Jesus always has been and always will be God. But when he knew it was time for him to come to this earth, when he knew that he was going to have to be born as a little baby, the angels didn't have to drag him out of heaven kicking and screaming. He wasn't saying, now wait a minute, don't you know who I am? I should not have to go do this for them. Go get somebody else. That's basically what that verse is saying. It says, who although he existed, he, he has always existed as God himself, did not regard equality with God, his equality, his, his uh, uh, being God himself, he did not regard that as a thing to be clung to or held on to or something that he had to assert or prove or argue about. And what it's saying is that Jesus didn't do that, but he was willing to leave heaven and come to earth for me and you. And that's what I want to think about. First of all, think about the size of that. Do you know how big God is? Somebody told me about a video recently that I've been watching. Uh, this man, Louis Giglio, maybe some of you have heard of him. But Louis Giglio and Chris Tomlin have been uh, traveling around, and Chris Tomlin's a great, uh, uh, great Christian singer, and he's had Louis Giglio traveling with him. And the video, in the video, Louis Giglio talks about how big the universe is. And he talks about how small the earth is in comparison. And the point that he's trying to make in the video is, is listen, as big as the universe is, God made that. God's bigger. Okay, so you got that. The universe is big, but God's bigger. The earth is smaller than the universe, but guess what? I'm smaller than the earth. 
So the point he's trying to make is the universe is big, but God's bigger. The earth is small, but we're smaller. So then how much bigger is God than me? Let me give you just an idea of something he mentioned in that video. Did you know that just our galaxy alone, the Milky Way, that it would take 100,000 light years to get across it? Now, in case you've forgotten, maybe some of the kids remember this from school. Now they just studied this, maybe. Light travels 186,000 miles a second. 186,000 miles a second. In one year, light travels 6 trillion miles. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know many people except our government in talking about the dead that use terminology in terms of trillions. That's hard for me to process. It would take 100,000 times doing that. Are you processing that? 186,000 miles a second. Do that all year and you will get 6 trillion miles. Do that 100,000 times. And you finally got across our galaxy. Isn't that incredible? And that's just our galaxy. They're finding other galaxies. And the Bible says in Psalm 33, verse 6, you know what? God made all that. Listen to what it says. It says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Guys, I got to tell you, that blows me away when I think about it. God just said it, and all that stuff happened. Is absolutely incredible. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the, I almost hear the puff of it, by the breath of his mouth, all their host. <laughs> I don't know if you could say stars or God spit. I don't know, but just, just by the breath of it, you know, God just puffs it. He, he just says it, and all that stuff happens. And that God, in a sense, even though he never ceases to be God, He's never ceased to be in control of the universe. In some sense, God stepped out of infinity and stepped into humanity. you got to let that sink in. That's unbelievable. You know, I was thinking this way, how can I illustrate? How can I, how can I make this real for And the only thing I was thinking of is, you know, it's like if I went home tonight and I pulled out Drew's clothes, Okay, if I pulled out Drew's PJs with the nice little footies in them and everything, and I said, I'd like to have footies in my PJs. And I started sticking my leg in this. It doesn't fit. I can't go in there. But you know what? I'm fairly close to Drew's size. God is not even close to our size. How is it even remotely possible that God could come into our existence? Unbelievable. We're talking more about the size of it. What about the sacrifice of what he did by leaving heaven? I don't even think we can come close to knowing what heaven is like. And even if we did, I'm not sure if we'd have the words to describe it. But, but I've, been, I've been reading about heaven a lot lately. And i got to tell you something. I'm finding more and more in my heart. Hey, you know what I'm figuring out? It's what I've been looking for. Heaven is what I've been looking for. I've been looking for something all my life, haven't you? I've been looking for something. You know what? I keep fighting for my day to go right. I keep fighting for my attitude to be right. I keep fighting for my family to be right. I keep fighting for my church to be right. I keep fighting for the world to be right. You know what? It's never going to be right, ultimately. I'm looking for heaven. 
Heaven is the place where it's all right. Let's just put it this way. God is there. And he's in control. Matthew 6 verse 10 says, His will is done in that place. It ought to be done on earth. How? As it is, where? In heaven. Things are right there. Things are not messed up like they are here. How could we possibly understand what Jesus did by leaving that place to come here? Maybe you could think about it like this. If you worked for years to have your dream house just like you want it, I mean, you found the right piece of property. It was just the layout of me for years. You've been kind of drawing off. You draw out, here's where I'd like the bedroom to be. Here's how I'd like the, the main... Oh, no, erase that. I figured out that won't work. But you know, you've honed it down. I've got the layout. And that's what we built. The colors are just like I want. It's in an area where my kids can go to good schools. In other words, as far as I'm concerned, this is perfect. It's just what I wanted. What if you had a house like that and you lost it? Or what about this? What if you moved somewhere, you had a house like that, and you found out that your job, your company, was transferring you to another town? Now, what if that new community, you found out as you did some demographics, as you did some study of that new area, what if you found out there was actually a high crime area? What if you found out that the schools were really, really low rated in that area? What if that place was far away from your family, your friends, or anybody else that you knew? That maybe, if you, if you can have a taste of that, that maybe helps us have a little bit of an idea of what Jesus Christ did for us. He was in the most perfect place. It was just perfect. It was spotless. There was nothing wrong at all. Everything went the way it was supposed to. He was worshipped as he deserves. And he left that place to come here into this mess that's what it cost jesus christmas cost jesus a lot he had to leave heaven but you know what it cost him something else too look at verse seven it says he emptied himself he voluntarily laid aside the independent use of his attributes as god and that's a long phrase it means he basically he never stopped being god but he chose to, to step into humanity, okay? That's what that's talking about. But then it says, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. You know, I really wish we could spend some more time letting that first point sink in. Because I really think we need to think about what Jesus gave up for us by coming to this earth. But you know what? Even if I can come to grips with the idea that God would come here, listen, it's a big enough sacrifice that he came, amen? That he left that place to come to this place. But if he came to this place, what kind of reception should he get? If God made that sacrifice, if he was willing to do that for us, how should he be arrived? Shouldn't it have been great pageantry? Shouldn't there have been a parade? Don't you think he should have been received with great priority? Oh, shouldn't he have been put in his proper place? Shouldn't he have been recognized as king? Shouldn't everybody have just said, Hey God, we see you. Thanks for making us. Thanks for creating this world. Uh, thanks for wanting to be with us. Uh, what do you want to do, God? We want to follow your direction. Isn't that what he should have gotten when he got here? But in verse 7 it says, He didn't come like that. 
He didn't come and say, all right, I'm the boss. He didn't come and say, hey, listen up, everybody. Here's what we're going to do. The Bible says he became a man. He came into our world. He didn't announce his presence. He didn't expect recognition. Instead, the Bible says he took on the role of a servant. And actually, that word servant is actually maybe even better translated. He took on the role of a slave. You know, this Christmas, as I've been thinking about, you know, every Christmas, you just try to keep it fresh. Try to think about what Christ did for us and what his, what his coming means to us. But as I've been thinking about, as I've read the scriptures about Jesus' birth, the Christmas story, I've been struck by the ordinary nature of Jesus' coming. You know what? We have, there's a danger in coming to church. You say, are you serious, Pastor? <laughs> a danger in coming to church? You know what the danger is? The danger is that you hear the terminology, you hear the words, you hear the story so much that no longer are you awed by it. But don't you think about it. Jesus, when he was born, was put in a manger. Already you're going into the Christmas story mode, aren't you? I know the story. Mary and Joseph on a donkey, riding to Bethlehem in a manger. Have you, do you know what a manger is? Have you ever thought about, have you ever visualized what Christ did? When he came, we put him in a feeding trough. That's what a manger is. It's not a nice religious symbol. It's just a wooden box that animals ate out of. When Jesus Christ came into this world, we not only didn't have room for him, we couldn't even find a crib for him. Is that what the song says? No crib for a bed. Now, how many of us, if you went home tonight and you had guests coming over and your guests had a newborn, if you had horses and a stable, how many of us would say, hey, kids, would you run out and get the feeding trough? Our guests are about to arrive. We never think of treating our guests that way, would we? much less God as a baby. What about his birth announcement? You know where it went? It didn't go in the paper. It wasn't on the internet. It wasn't on cable TV. You know what? It went to a bunch of sheep herders, shepherds. They appear to be the only ones that knew. It wasn't recognized. You would have thought the most spiritual people around would have noticed, would have recognized, would have been in tune with God, and that those people would have said to the rest of us, those spiritual leaders, they're the ones who are supposed to be speaking for God, right? You would have thought those people would have said, hey, everybody, pay attention. Did you know God's here? But you know who showed up? Just a few wise men that studied the stars and studied wisdom literature. Now, uh, just so that you don't get the wrong idea there, it's not that by studying the stars they found God, but here's the thing. They had a hunger, apparently, to find God. And as they studied wisdom literature, they found out that the Jewish people, apparently in the Jewish writings, i.e. the Old Testament, that it was predicted that the king of the Jews would be indicated by a star. And that was enough for them to travel hundreds, if not a thousand or more, miles. The religious leaders there, right there in that vicinity, they just yawned. (laughs) No big deal. I don't know if we can grasp the gravity of all that. The king of the universe arrived and no one knew. No one cared. No one noticed. Even after his birth. Did you know that Jesus grew up on the wrong side of the tracks? 
Where did he grow up? He grew up in Nazareth. Apparently, Nazareth wasn't the high school that you wanted to say you graduated from. John chapter 1, verse 46 tells us there, that was the idea during that time to emphasize the lack of recognition for who Jesus was. Listen to what one author said. Though he had humble beginnings, Bethlehem, Jesus was born where? In Bethlehem. Bethlehem did have royal connections. That was the city of who? That was where David was from, Bethlehem. So there were some royal connections. But instead of being known as Jesus of Bethlehem, that would have been at least a little royal, right? What was he called? Jesus of what? Jesus of Nazareth. He was identified more closely with the town that nobody wanted to be from instead of the town of royalty. He worked in a carpenter shop, very likely with his dad, Joseph. He lived a quiet life until he began his public ministry. Have you ever noticed when you read the, the New Testament, when you read the Gospels, you hear about Jesus' birth. Then you see him one more time at the special age of 12. But then you don't see him again until he's very likely 30 years of age when he begins his public ministry. And even when he began that ministry, he spent his whole life from that point on serving, helping teaching. Now, there were some people who began to catch on to who he really was, but for the most part, most of the people who followed him just followed him for the fanfare. They just wanted to see the show. Hey, I heard this guy does some pretty neat things. Let's think about it for just a minute. What if you were the president of a company and you went down to the warehouse to check on things and when you walked in, they didn't say, hey, boss, when you walked in, they said, hey, you need to get on that pallet truck and you need to get to work and get about it pretty quick. It doesn't happen that way, does it? Hey, if you work for a company and you find out that corporate is coming, does everybody go, oh, it's another day at the office? Is that what happens? No, if corporate is coming, what happens? You don't ignore them. You don't disregard them. If you do, you might what? Lose your job. You clean up your desk. You straighten up your office. You make sure your, uh, the people that you're over, that everything's in order. You change your schedule to make sure you focus on them. You certainly, when, the, when you walk in the doors, wouldn't say, hey, I'm glad you're here. It's time for me to be off. Here's your eight-hour shift. Amen? We wouldn't even think about doing that. But that's about what we did when Jesus came. Listen to what the Bible says. John 1, verses 10 through 11. Listen, this is some of the, these are some of the saddest verses in the Bible. Listen to this. He was in the world. He came, is what it's saying. He was right here. Are you listening? He was right here. And the world was made through him. What's that reminding us? He came, and he made all of this. And the world did not know him. Aren't those some of the saddest words in the Bible? He came right here. Right here. He was here. He was right here. The one who made all this. And we didn't even notice. Verse 11 says, He came to His own, and those who were His own did not receive Him. You know what Christmas cost Jesus? He came into this world. He entered into the world that He made 
with little fanfare, with a life of service to others, with not much in return, certainly not by being noticed for who he was, who he is. And ultimately, he even faced rejection. That's what I want to talk about last. What did Christmas cost Jesus? He gave his life for us. You know, it's always been interesting to me that we love Christmas so much. Have you ever thought about that? We love Christmas. I've thought about it a lot, especially in relation to Easter. Have you ever thought, why is it that we're so fascinated with Christmas? You know, it's so funny. Some of you never thought about that because we are so American. We are so uh, culturized. We just, we just think, yeah, you do Christmas. But if you think about it, why do we not celebrate Easter just as much, or I think you could make a strong case, much, much more than Easter? Easter's nice, but it's usually a one-day thing, isn't it? Maybe it's extended over a weekend. And sometimes people, they celebrate, we celebrate Passion Week, so we may even extend it for a week. Christmas gets at least a month. Even in my family, we do that. And we've thought about it the last couple of years. Has anybody ever done the Advent calendar? We enjoy doing that in our family. We read the Christmas story uh, one, you know, starting December 1st, we read a verse, we read a portion of the Christmas story. The next night, we read that verse and then the new verse. And then all throughout that month, you're reading the Christmas story. And I think that's a wonderful thing. I'm not saying we should stop doing that. But I've said, why don't we have an Easter Advent calendar? Why don't we spend a month building up to that? Have you ever thought about that before? You know, that's part of the blessing of coming to church, isn't it? Things that maybe you've never thought of before. God brings to your attention. God reorients our thinking. It's not that Christmas is a bad thing. He had to come. And Christmas reminds us, praise God, He did. Amen? We should celebrate. Hey, we weren't there. And, and so many people did miss it. No, so many people didn't note it. So for the rest of my life, I'm going to set aside a day every year where I say, Jesus, I know you came and I thank you for it. That's a wonderful thing. But if you look at the message of the Bible, it's not even close that Christmas should be emphasized more. It's not even close. All throughout God's Word, the message is so crystal clear. Friend, listen to me. Christmas is a key part of the story, but it is not the story. The story is this. It is true what you have thought, what you have longed for, what you have hoped for, what you have wished for, but maybe you've never heard her or you've never found her or nobody's ever shared with you or a church turns you away from it. God does care for you. You aren't an accident. Your life has a purpose and a plan, and God wants you to experience that plan. He wants you to have a relationship with Him that starts right now, that begins changing your life and your heart, and eventually will lead you into walking with Him forever and ever in a place called heaven. That's the message of the Bible, and that's the message of Easter. He paid the price so that you and I, on that cross, He died for my sins. I can be forgiven because I am so guilty. Anybody else here? Even today, boy, I've messed up so much. I'm such an idiot. God, please forgive me. Things I say, things I do, thank God for His mercy, for His grace. Not by any righteous deeds that I've done, but by His mercy, He has forgiven me and washed me and cleansed me. And that was accomplished at Easter resurrection weekend he died on the cross for my sins he rose again victorious over my sins 
Philippians 2 verse 8 talks about that. It says, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's the true cost of Christmas. From the time that Jesus willingly left heaven for us, from the time that he became a little baby boy in a manger 2,000 years ago, he knew that he was starting a trip that the final destination would be what? He was going to die on the cross. He was going to have to pay for us. Friend, do you understand what Jesus dying on the cross means? It should not be some story that you've heard in church school your whole life. I pray that God would just bring this to, to, to life in your mind, your heart today. The Roman cross was one of the best attempts, or should we say worst, that man has ever made to bring torture and to humiliate and to brutally kill each other. Before he was even put on the cross, Jesus was beaten up. He was humiliated. What's one of the worst things a guy could possibly imagine? Going into a locker room and being stripped of all your clothes and being made fun of by all the other players. You know what? That's exactly what happened to Jesus. The soldiers just humiliated him, beat him up, spat on him, laughed at him. And then after that, he got beat across the back with a whip. We were talking about this the other night in our family devotions and the kids said, Daddy, are you serious? There was like pottery and rocks and stuff in those pieces of leather and i just saw my little kids they're, they're just in their minds just seeing wow jesus that came across his back and one of the kids said didn't that like tear his skin i was like yep that's exactly what happened but much bigger than the physical and mental and emotional pain was the spiritual pain on that cross, on Jesus' cross, unlike others who had died on crosses, Jesus paid for sin. He paid for my sin. He paid for your sin. The Bible says in 1 John 2, 2, He paid for all the sins of the world. Think about that for just a minute. How are you doing carrying your guilt how are you doing carrying the weight of the wrong decisions you've made in your life? I'm not doing very well, are you? Hey, what if you had to carry somebody else's too? What if you took... I mean, if we just sat down in this room and sat down and just were honest and shared about our real hearts and lives and our real problems, there's no way that I could take all of yours. I mean... It, it would kill me. It would leave me breathless. I could not do it. As a pastor, sometimes I get a little bit of a glimpse of what Jesus goes through for us because I, I just so much want to help people. I want to carry that load. And the Bible says we should in some sense. With Christ's help, bear one another's burdens. But I could not possibly carry the sins, the guilt, the condemnation, the judgment. Jesus became the lightning rod of God's wrath on sin. Not God's wrath on people. He loves people. But God judged sin and he placed that judgment upon Jesus. It's unbelievable. The God of the universe stepped down from heaven into my existence. When he did, 
I didn't even notice. And worse than that, he had to die for me. Actually, it's worse than that. We killed him. And he led us because he knew that somebody had to pay the price. And he knew that only he could. I don't know if that grips you as much as it did me this week, but friends, I want to tell you, it ought to do something to you tonight. It should change your life. Is it really true? God did that for me. He left the glories of heaven. He was humiliated and insulted. Nobody paid attention. Nobody gave him his rightful place. In fact, worse than that, we not only ignored him, we rejected him. I said, no, thank you, God. (laughs) We don't have anything to do with you. But he was willing to do that for you and for me. What are the implications of that for my life tonight? Well, on just an initial level, I think I need to reconsider Christmas, don't you? If I have a ho-hum attitude about the holidays... I'm missing something, aren't I? What have we made it, Lord? How lightly have we taken this? Please forgive us. Hey, friend, can I ask you to do something? If you in your heart tonight are saying, if I had been there, I would not have ignored him. If I had been there, I would have celebrated him. If I had been there, like the wise men, I would have worshipped him. You know how you can show that you really would have? By doing it right now. Now's your opportunity. Now you're meeting Jesus. Now he's coming into your existence, into your world. Now you can show what your real response would be to him. Now you can show that you would not ignore him during this time that we celebrate his birthday. Deeper than that, though, as I was thinking about this this week, one of the first things that came to mind was a feeling that it was all very wrong. We should not have done that to God. We should be embarrassed that we as a people, He created us. He's being patient with us not to judge us automatically. Isn't it amazing God's love for us? And that's the other thing that God began to speak to me about, His unbelievable love for us. I pray tonight that God will just give you a glimpse of just some of the things he's... When I begin to think about how big he is and how small I am, and sometime we're going to watch that Louis Giglio video or some snapshot, I think you just need to just grapple with the facts about how big our universe is and our God made that, and we're some little speck somewhere in the universe. It is unbelievable that we matter to him. It, it is super amazing that he would even care enough to go through all that trouble for me. It's unbelievable, isn't it? I can't understand it. And this week, I think more than any other in my life, and in a certain way, God just, set, just blew me away with, I don't understand it. I don't know why he would do that for me. But listen to this. This is a big one. It also says to me, There should be no limits to what I will do 
to serve others. Do you hear that? If God Almighty would do all the things we've talked about tonight, is there anything that is there anything that anybody has ever done for me that I should say I cannot go there for you? Maybe it's an offense. Maybe it's an insult. If I look at my Lord, what He has done for me, it's not even close. Maybe it's serving the Lord. You know what? Some people in our church here, God is going to call some of you to go halfway around the world to serve Him. God's going to call some of you to be a missionary. You know what people usually mention about being a missionary that's so hard? Leaving their family, leaving their friends, leaving the place they grew up. You know what? Yeah, that might be a sacrifice. (laughs) But when I think about my Lord, Jesus left heaven for me. There is no place I will ever go. There is nothing that He ever asked me to do that will top what He has done for me. Do you hear that, friend? Doesn't that come out of this? If it costs God that much, that I would be willing to give back to Him my life with no strings attached, I could never go as far as He's gone for me. Would you like God to speak to your heart tonight about that? Like I said earlier, if you would have honored Him, if you would say, I would have honored Him, then you'll show that tonight. You'll show that today. You'll show that this year. You'll show that in your generation by loving Him and following Him and honoring Him right now. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank You so much for the opportunity to share Your Word tonight. And God, You've just so gripped my heart this week. I pray that it's come across that your spirit has just opened up hearts and minds to see and to understand even more than I intended, but just what you intended for someone to to understand and realize tonight. Lord, to some extent, I just want to sit down and be quiet because I don't know what to say or how to say it in a way that would be sufficient to accurately represent what you actually did for us. But I pray that tonight, in some way, that someone has seen and heard. And God, I pray for a Christian tonight. Who, Lord, they love you. They know you. In a great way, they're walking with you, God. But if they've got that ho-hum attitude this year, I just pray, Jesus, that you would work on that tonight. I pray that the wonder of Christ, the message of the cross, and of your coming, and of your love for us would just wash over them in a fresh way. They'd experience a change tonight, Lord. They would see in a fresh way what you have done for them, and God, it would just change their life. And Lord Jesus, I pray if there's somebody here tonight that's never bowed their knee like the wise men, that now's their Christmas, now's their manger, now's their travel, 
They've come to this place tonight. And God, if we will truly worship you, if we will truly acknowledge you, then we will bow the knee right now in this generation, in this lifetime. And I pray if there's somebody here that's never bowed the knee to you, never acknowledged you, never received you as their personal Savior, never had their sins forgiven and washed away, I pray right now they just call out to you, Dear God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner and I need you to save me. I worship you, God. I recognize you this Christmas. I realize what you have done for me and I give my life to you. God, help us in these moments to worship you and to see you for who you really are. In Jesus' name, amen. If God is speaking to your heart, I want to encourage you to, to, to talk to him about it right now, before you leave, right now. We're going to have a time. We're going to, in just a moment, Paul's going to lead us in a song of worship. Would you just worship God? If you're here tonight, you know what? Sometimes if I'm walking with the Lord, it's not that God necessarily convicts me of sin. Or I know I'm a Christian, so I don't need to accept Christ as my Savior. But sometimes just hearing God speak to me, I just need to worship Him. Some of you here tonight, why don't you just worship Him right now? Amen. Because of what He's shown you tonight. If you need to make a decision, why don't you do that right now? You can just, between you and God, or if you need help or prayer, or to talk to somebody, or if you're ready to receive Christ and you don't know how to do that, I would not leave this place before you make that sure.